even going to your gynecologist and having them right. be like, ooh, you're almost 30. <laughs> like, you should probably think about maybe having a kid at some point because it just gets harder after you're 30. Like, I'll and show you something hard. to be like... What? I don't. That didn't make any sense. I'm sorry. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about emotional labor. This is a topic that gets mentioned now and then in polyamory groups as well as feminist groups, and it's something that a lot of people don't totally understand, and it's also something that we wanted to talk about ways to proactively try to build better relationships so that you don't have an imbalance of emotional labor. Mm-hmm. So, Dedeker, I think you wanted to give us a little history lesson on the concept of emotional labor first. Oh, do I? Yes. Um, yes. You know how I love history lessons. <laughs> so, the concept mm-hmm. of emotional labor, like the actual you know, vocabulary phrase, emotional labor, has been in the public lexicon for about 30 years. So, it was first introduced by Arlie Hochschild, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, who was an academic who coined the concept in a book that she released in 1983 called The Managed Heart. And now, when she first wrote about it, it was in reference specifically in the workplace. The idea being that when you go to work, you're expected to do the emotional labor, essentially, of keeping your emotions under wraps so that you can come to work, you can be professional. This particularly comes to play still to this day in many different industries, but especially in the service industry. The idea mm-hmm. being that if you're going to, you know, service with a smile, which means I don't give a shit if you just had a breakup or a terrible day, you know, get that shit under wraps and mm-hmm. put a smile on your face, that that requires emotional labor. However, within more recent years, the concept of emotional labor has been brought into the discussion around gender dynamics and around relationships as well. I mean, pretty much every single article I see about it is just about the emotional labor imbalance between men and women. Okay, well, it's funny that you mention specifically the gender dynamics, considering that the way that this entire discussion started was from a specific article called 50 Ways People Expect Constant Emotional Labor from Women and Femmes. So definitely it's like playing up the fact that feminism or or feminine people are the ones who have to do the most emotional labor. So the definition that this article gives is emotional labor is the exertion of energy for the purpose of addressing people's feelings, making people comfortable or living up to social expectations. It's called emotional labor because it ends up using and often draining our emotional resources. So I think it is important also to say that, like, the social expectations part of this is also prevalent, because I think we'll continue to get more into that. But just, you know, for example, the fact that, like, as a woman, I should want to become a mother someday, and that that's, like, a, a thing that's expected of me societally, just simply because of my gender. 
So then the emotional labor... So the emotional labor is you having to decide whether or not to voice that to people or playing well, along with only, conversations. Well, that, actually, that, that brings up a totally specific example that was just relevant to me was having a phone conversation with my very old grandmother uh, um, sure. who constantly asks me, like, don't you want to settle down? Don't you want to have kids? And anybody else in my life would be like, nah, nah. But with her, <laughs> I'm I'm performing the emotional labor of keeping her comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I have to be like, I don't know, maybe someday, you know, maybe someday I'll settle down and have a husband and have kids. Even though in reality, I'm like, no, Oh, that's not something that I want, but I'm performing the emotional labor to not make her uncomfortable. And something that or I even, want to reiterate. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Em. Oh, sorry. No, just like even going to your gynecologist and having them right. be like, ooh, you're almost 30. <laughs> like, you should probably think about maybe having a kid at some point because it just gets harder after you're 30. Like, I'll and show you something having hard. to be like... What? I don't. That didn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Um, well, okay. Something Anyways. that I. But we'll get into more specific examples a little bit later on. But something that I do want to reiterate for our listeners is that emotional labor in itself is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's necessary for human relationships. We have to perform emotional labor for each other, and that's not just in our romantic partnerships. It's in our sexual relationships. It's in our friendships. It's in our family relationships and child relationships exactly Mm. you know emotional labor is just a thing that we do in relationships and so it by itself is not the bad thing um what emily pointed out is the fact that it is something that can drain you it is something that can wear you down over time it is something where if you're not able to replenish yourself in some way or if you're not also receiving a reciprocal amount of emotional labor and it's imbalanced that then it can get really unhealthy and really wear on somebody Especially over time. Mm -hmm. And that's the other important thing here is that, you know, for example, if you have a friend who, say, will go real extreme, just had a family member die, and they're upset about it, you're going to be putting in emotional labor for them as their friend to be there and support them and not maybe... (laughs) not choose this time to come to them with your gripes about work Mm -hmm. or something else that's not as important as the thing they're going through. So in that moment, there is an imbalance of emotional labor. But that, again, is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Where this becomes a problem is when it becomes routine, when it becomes systemic, when it's something that's just day in, day out, wearing on somebody more than someone else yeah yeah so systemically you know the reason why most of these articles have a more feminist bent to it is because systemically it does tend to fall on women you know we're still operating under this script that says that women are just better at empathizing they're better at taking care of people they're the better caregivers Mm -hmm. and so women are more naturally expected to provide emotional labor but it's not always gender specific and it's not always just in romantic relationships. Um, yeah. I would love to get into some specific examples of that. Yeah, go for it. So some examples. So for instance, I don't know why this one is at the top of the list, but we'll just hop right in. Um, <laughs> okay. Is you might expend emotional labor to make sure that your sexual partner doesn't feel upset, doesn't feel embarrassed, doesn't feel awkward during sex. Um, this is one that does fall under the example of, I think that women tend to do this more often than men do. There is this thing of women feeling like they need to protect the ego of their male sexual partner. And that's why mm-hmm. a lot of women feel more pressured to be more vocal than they normally would, or to fake an orgasm or to just pretend that they're more into it uh, than they actually are in order to protect the feelings of their male partner. But uh, this goes 
both ways. Right. I brought up the example when we talked about this earlier, brought up the example of if the male partner in a male-female relationship um, or one of the partners in two males together um, Mm -hmm. is not able to get an erection or not able to keep one as long as they would like to, whatever it is, that that one can really go either way. That sometimes the other partner can take that very personally and be upset, and then that emotional labor falls on the person who didn't have the erection <laughs> to say, no, 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 it's, you know, it's not you, that just happens. And even though they might feel embarrassed, are then taking on the extra emotional labor of also making sure their partner feels okay. Or mm-hmm. this can go the other way around, where they might feel really bad about it, and then the emotional labor might be picked up by the person you know, by the other person saying, no, it's okay. It happens. Like you're mm-hmm. fine. You're still sexy. You're still virile, whatever it is. Uh, so, so anyway, exactly. just uh, the reason why I wanted to point that out is that with any of these examples or any other examples people give, these aren't the only ways that they can go down. Mm-hmm. Um, that really the purpose of this is not to say, look, here's some specific bad ways that emotional labor happens. But like Dedeker said, the emotional labor itself isn't bad. It's mm-hmm. only it can become bad if it wears you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to give another example? Well, yeah. An example that I'd like to give that's outside of the sphere of romantic and sexual relationships, um, kind of similar to the example you gave about supporting a friend, maybe when they're going through a grieving process. But I think that's something that I've experienced that I know some other people have experienced is if you have the one friend who constantly has relationship trouble, like constantly, <laughs> and always comes to you to try to vent about it, process it, you know, get advice from you. And again, you know, that's okay. It's okay for you to provide emotional labor to that friend, but it can be a problem if, you know, if this person is constantly having relationship troubles and it's like a one way dynamic, right? That they come to you, they vent, they get your advice, they get your support. Maybe they go back to their own crappy relationship life and you don't get the same from them, right? I feel like I've had that happen both with male and female friends. Mm, Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this goes back, unfortunately, to. Um, sexual relationships which tend to happen again with females more is like the birth control question Hmm. Um, such as if you don't want to have kids anytime soon then it kind of falls upon the female bodied person to deal with the birth control aspect of that situation like doing the research potentially putting like an object in your body or taking a pill every day and remembering to do that that may screw with your hormones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that all becomes like a very one-sided female-based thing, unfortunately. That's why I can't wait for male birth control. It's happening eventually. <laughs> maybe. It is. It's, uh-huh. it's, this is, you know, we'll, we'll try to avoid going off on a huge tangent about birth control yeah. right now. Um, but this is one that's always really frustrated me, too, because... <laughs> It's frustrated me on both sides of it, where on the one hand, I get really frustrated with uh, with men in the world based on a mm-hmm. lot of the stories that I hear from women in my life who live. I don't know why I said <laughs> that's so weird. In my life. <laughs> uh, from women in my life who talk about, you know, not only in the example, kind of like Emily was talking about, where you're in a committed relationship where instead of 
you know, the male doesn't want to use condoms or something. And so then the burden of figuring out some other kind of birth control falls onto the female partner to actually do the birth control, to to do Mm -hmm. the controlling of Mm -hmm. birth. Uh, (laughs) But then also even in more casual encounters that the Mm -hmm. burden will fall on the female partner to insist on using a condom, which just Mm -hmm. drives me fucking mad that Mm -hmm. men do that. And that that's common enough that I've heard this repeatedly from so many women in my life. That really frustrates me. But then, on the other hand, I've also, since since I was, gosh, I mean, younger, being really frustrated that, as a man, in terms of taking on some of the responsibility of birth control, there's really no other option besides abstinence and condoms. And vasectomies. Yeah. And, well, sure, and a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could get a vasectomy, yeah. Right, and unfortunately, things like vasal gel that are, mm. you know, reversible, easily reversible, theory. because, yeah, the problem with vasal gel, it's that's like saying, oh, if you don't want to take hormones as a woman, just get your tubes tied. It's mm-hmm. like, well, because it can't always be reversed, right? That can be a problem if you do want to have kids eventually. But anyway, I've been frustrated with that lack of choice. Mm. And that on yeah. the other side, you know, for men you kind of have to trust that your partner's going to do those things or take care of those things because there's nothing you can do besides just using condoms. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's challenging for me sometimes as a woman to know, like, my hormones sometimes are a a reason behind why I may feel a certain way at a certain time. And we do And that they're artificial hormones, you mean? The ones that you're taking? Well, that's what I mean. Like, regardless, I mean, hormones based on your cycle or whatever, but absolutely the artificial hormones that you're getting from something like birth control, and yet you're still, you know, in a relationship, you're supposed to be understanding and, you know, deal with your emotions in a non-taxing way. And yet (laughs) sometimes, like, excessive hormones may make you feel super fucking cranky or super PMSy or whatever, and yet you you have to take on that emotional labor in addition to having to do all the research and having to take the pill and having to do all those things. So right. it's just a it's a big pile of sad bullshit. <laughs> well, it's like Dedeker said in the first example of managing your emotions at work. It's that mm-hmm. if you have hormones and other things you're going through that are affecting how you're feeling, having to then manage those so that you're not being a burden on your partners or your friends Mm -hmm. or coworkers or or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, Do we want to quickly hit a couple examples before we move on? Well, I just want to hit two actually and, and piggybacking off of that, you know, the idea of emotional labor also applying to yourself of having to keep your emotions under wraps in particular instances, Mm -hmm. you know, and mentioning the, you know, going on hormonal birth control and then also having the added labor of keeping yourself emotionally stable is one. But this is an arena where men often provide a lot of emotional labor. And I know that, you know, we're socialized and conditioned so that women are the ones expected to provide more. But on the male side, there is the emotional labor provided of always having to be the strong one, which also falls Mm -hmm. under the way that we're socialized is, you know, always having to keep the emotions at bay unless they're anger. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. That one's okay. You know, but but men being expected to expend that labor of keeping sadness at bay or keeping depression or keeping anxiety at bay in order to be strong because that's what's expected of them. Right. That, that emotional labor. Yeah. Of being the rock of, Mm -hmm. of keeping your emotions under control so that your partner can be emotional and express those things without you reacting to it. Mm. Uh, That that can be very draining over time, especially if you don't have another outlet 
and another form of expression for yourself to to deal with those things, which is something we talk about a lot on this show, the idea of having yeah. other support networks in place. Mm-hmm. So it's not always this back and forth just with one other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I talk about this one real quick, like an ex coming back into the picture mm-hmm. and needing like emotional support after maybe they've broken up with you or after you two have broken up? Yeah, I, I feel like I really see this come up a lot, not just in non-monogamous relationships, but in monogamous relationships as well. Totally. Yeah, just that it, that all of a sudden, you know, you guys have broken up and maybe some one of the two people is starting to really feel good again and starting to move past it. And then all of a sudden, like the other person asks for some comfort and or wants to say, you know, I'm sorry or whatever, even though that other person has moved on and feeling as though I have to be there again for this person that maybe I want to kind of step away from and move on from. That's mm-hmm. a really challenging thing potentially to go through. Yeah. Well, I think what I see a lot in relationships is if you are used to having your partner be your main source of emotional support and your main source of yeah. emotional labor, that then if that relationship ends and right. if you don't have other support networks, I think I think this is why people compare breaking up to knocking over a soda machine and why it constantly goes back and forth. I have never heard have you that not heard before. That one? Oh no, gosh, what? I love it! I love it. Have I you mean, heard it, that, Jace? I heard this from her. I don't, I don't know where <laughs> she gets course. this stuff. Um, the <laughs> idea that it's like, well, one of you got to push it one way, and then push it back, and then keep pushing it the other way, and then you have to get that momentum going until finally the momentum makes it the soda machine fall over. But the idea wow. that why we see a lot of breakups and they're like the yo-yo relationship for a little while where it's like it's bad and then it's good and then it's real bad and then it's real good and then it finally gets bad enough that finally we break up. But I think mm. part of this is this, is that if you're used to having this one other person as your only source of emotional labor and then this really upsetting event, like a breakup happens, your knee-jerk reaction is to go to that same person sometimes and be like, I really need to process this. I really need to figure out how to deal with this. I need some kind of comfort. And I feel like one of the most important lessons to learn is that the person that you have the problem with is not the person um, that you need to be getting therapy from about that problem. Um, And I mean, that can apply also if you're not having a breakup. But, you know, I think I see that a lot of an ex coming to you expecting your emotional labor in order to help them deal with the emotions of the breakup. And sometimes people feel that they should do it. They feel bad if they, if they They want to distance themselves or if they want to have boundaries. And so people have sometimes a hard time maintaining boundaries around an ex because they feel like, Oh, I'm obligated to give this emotional labor to this person because not to not do that would be like heartless or cold or something like that. So, Something that I did want to to mention here, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more as we move on to talking about how imbalances in emotional labor show up in polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that the examples that we've given so far are almost all based around heterosexual male-female relationships. Um, and part of that reason is because the concept tends to be talked about in those terms. It tends to be talked mm-hmm. about kind of in this more mainstream heterosexual couple sort of way. Uh, and if you do look this up, which I recommend, look it up, see what's out there, you'll see the examples tend to be that. Um, but these things can still apply in any kind of relationship. Just like we said 
these are not limited to women in these relationships. It's also not limited to any one partner in any kind of relationship or in multiple no. relationships, uh, which we want to get to now mm-hmm. before we move on to some ways to actively, proactively, Provide. and constructively make this better yeah. in yeah. your life. Yeah. So yeah. Eve Rickert um, put out a really interesting article a while ago where she clarified of what she calls the daisy chain of emotional labor in poly relationships. And so, for example, maybe I'm having, and this is actually, let's just use a real life example. Why sure. not? Yeah, shall we? Just, why not? When, Back when I was with, book when, for more information. <laughs> when I was with the infamous Brad. And so it starts out like Brad is angry about something and he expects emotional labor from me to fix the problem or to make him feel better or to support him in some way. So I expend all my emotional labor trying to help out Brad. And then I'm also in a relationship with Jace. And so I'm totally depleted. And maybe that also makes me upset and cranky and in a bad place. So I bring that into my relationship with Jace, where I need Jace's love and support and to care for me and maybe listen to me vent as I vent about the problems in my other relationship. So now I'm getting the emotional labor from Jace. And then that depletes Jace um, because maybe he's not able to come to me for support because he knows that I'm having issues. So then Jace takes that into his other relationship where he's depleted and he needs to get support from somebody else and so right which then led emily to feel (laughs) drained because she's having to provide that emotional support to me Mm -hmm. so it was this daisy it becomes this daisy chain and again you know the daisy chain effect doesn't always have to be dysfunctional again this can be a normal human thing but if there's no reciprocation if somebody's not receiving back the same kind of effort that they're putting in that's when people can get really resentful and really drained and really frustrated in their relationships right yeah and so in that real life example the problem wasn't that that happened once but that it happened like systemically repetitively over the course of over a year yeah that finally led to something (laughs) needing to change right and uh a lot of a lot of the layout of those relationships changed because that just wasn't a sustainable way to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something i wanted to to bring up and i don't know if there's any research about this or anything but i had this thought about you know in polyamory we talk about the term tribe Mm -hmm. a fair amount of kind of who's in your poly tribe, who's all connected to your network of friends and partners. And I was thinking about in the earlier days of humans, when we would have lived in tribes, this daisy chaining effect, I think would have happened too, Mm -hmm. where it's just within your social group. It's like, oh, I'm upset. And then that passes along to someone else and they pass it along to someone else. And it kind of gets diffused. And I had this thought of, well, maybe with each successive one, it could end up a little bit less and then diffuse itself, given a large enough network to diffuse itself through so that any one person's emotional labor can get kind of distributed amongst other people. Maybe it just doesn't work work in these smaller groups, and I don't think it works that way. I think relationship anarchy really works well here because it, it provides like friends or... I don't know, even acquaintances or someone other than just like the people with whom you're sleeping right. to provide emotional labor <laughs> uh-huh. for you. Yeah. And not, and, and it kind of like separates it because, you know, for example, at that point, I was also dating Dedeker and I also had mm-hmm. like a lot of those same things um, occurring in yeah. my own yeah. way. I was also yeah. dating yeah. Brad. So, yeah, it was, it was just like this horrible box of. <laughs> Sadness. Well, right. <laughs> and we made the four it, of us. 
Yeah, we made it sound like it was a line, but really everything yeah, was much everything more was interconnected yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so something related to this that I've also seen in in Poly Networks is the, I guess, expending emotional labor in order to not be the squeaky wheel. Right. And this, I often see this come up where, say, within this network, there's person A, and they're in relationships with persons B, C, and D, and mm-hmm. that maybe B and C both expect a lot of emotional labor from A, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're they just always upset about something. Yeah, maybe to be realistic, maybe they're having a hard time adjusting to polyamory, maybe they're right. really jealous, or maybe they just want a lot of time, mm-hmm. or, or, you and know. And then, yeah, whatever, as yeah. person D, who might be the more experienced person with polyamory, mm-hmm. Or maybe just the one who struggles less with those things can end up in a situation where they feel like they can't ever have a problem because all the emotional labor has been given to other people. Mm. And this I want to bring up because it's a little bit unique to, you know, this can happen with family members or friends, but this specific situation is a little unique to polyamory that doesn't get addressed in a lot of the articles about this because those tend to focus on just couples. couples. Yeah. Usually yeah. married couples, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and it's not just about feeling frustrated that, that, you know, I have to be a squeaky wheel in order to get emotional labor. It can be, I have to be a squeaky wheel in order to get this person's time or to get comfort mm-hmm. from this person or to get this person to go out of their mm-hmm. way to, to be affectionate to me or to give me my love language or whatever, that it does become this frustrating thing that you're expending all the emotional labor keeping yourself together while they're expending all their emotional labor taking care of all their other partners. I think I've seen that a lot and I've seen definitely clients struggling with, should I try to be more squeaky? Should I not? Like I actually need something, but he's got his hands full with... You know his super high maintenance partner over here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This reminds that me mean- of well, no, sorry. It just kind of reminds me of a, attachment styles a little bit, and like mm-hmm. how we tend to change sometimes attachment styles based on the partner that we're currently with, or like like I could have a more anxious attachment style with one partner, and then more of a like deflective attachment style with another, and maybe how yeah. I don't know. It just reminded me of that when you were talking about it. Well, I think even if it's not attachment styles, I do feel like certain people, maybe because of how they're raised or socialized, or maybe it's just some inherent personality trait in them, but that some people are more prone to taking on more emotional labor than they need to, or than they're even asked to. Uh, And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well when we talk about ways to proactively deal with this. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely also those factors at play too. Of some people are more prone to expect emotional labor from others, and some are more prone to give it even when it's not needed, and can exhaust yeah. themselves. Right? There's a whole lot of dynamics. Just to Triforce mention of communication, etc. Yeah, yeah. Just to mention a couple more things here. One is when couples are looking for a third, mm-hmm. uh, or unicorn hunting, if you want to use that term, that. The couple, uh, you know, assuming that they've figured out a balance of emotional labor for each other, um, often won't offer that same emotional labor to this other person Mm -hmm. or will expect that person to do all the emotional labor for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which that, is then related to yeah, this last one. This leads to something that I've seen a lot, which is 
expecting a high amount of emotional labor from a metamorph in order to make you feel better about the relationship. Now, I know what that's I, so interesting. Yeah, what me. I've seen happen a number of times now is again, like let's focus on a couple. Maybe mm-hmm. they're just opening up their relationship. This is all new to them and you know, one half of the couple starts dating somebody new and then the other half of the couple is having a hard time with it. And so they'll reach out to their new metamor, to the new partner to be like, hey, I'm having a really hard time with this. Maybe if you and I connect, it'll be better. And it's so hard because on the one side of it, it's like, actually, yeah, connecting with your metamor may help. It may help to humanize them. It may help to just make things seem more normal. It may help you guys to connect so that you just feel better about it. But then really close on the other side of that line is expecting your new metamor, expecting that new partner to do a bunch of emotional labor to help make you comfortable. As in, yeah. I need to come to you and I need to vent to you and I need to tell you how, why I'm having so much trouble with this and I hope that you can give me something to make me feel comfortable, which is like not your metamorphic job. relationship or what? There's all sorts of different ways it can oh, look. Yeah. 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 I just like don't understand the thought process behind doing that. But I, I mean, I get it. I get why someone would go there. But I'm like, what are they really asking for in return? Like, what is actually going to help them out? Well, and here's why it's tricky is because this might work out nicely. Mm-hmm. It might work out okay if that person is also doing their own emotional yes. work. Then, yeah, sure. maybe getting the support from your metamor would actually be really helpful. But where it becomes a problem is when it's, again, it becomes this one-sided thing totally. of them just yeah. wanting the other person to fix their problems for them yes. instead of getting their assistance for a little while in them doing their own work. Because another way I've seen this play out is one partner asking one of their partners to help their other partner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is, is so instead of the metamor reaching out for help, it's the, the link it's the partner, v, the, the partner who connects the them the v. Yeah. saying, Hey, partner B is having a problem. Can you partner a contact them or, or help them out and do that kind of vicariously requesting some emotional labor mm-hmm. for their other partner, which, yeah. And it is tricky because uh. sometimes that can be a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. making the connection is not necessarily the bad part, but it is that when it is one sided and I've seen this happen also, if there's ever a more experienced poly person dating people who are less experienced, you know, I've seen couples who are new and maybe one partner's dating somebody who's more experienced and them entirely relying on the more experienced person to not only provide all the emotional labor, but to answer all of their questions, (laughs) to do, to do, to give them all the recommended reading, to even to do the reading sometimes, you know, to be like, okay, yeah, you read more than two, you read Dedeker's book, you listen to the multi-amory podcast and then just tell us about it, Um, (laughs) which is ridiculous, right? All the relevant things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this definitely comes up in non-monogamous, in multi-partner relationships, not just in monogamous relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. And we do want to start covering, you know, what are ways to actually deal with this so that you can avoid having these unhealthy or these imbalanced dynamics. But first, let's take a quick break to talk about the ways that you can provide some emotional labor to us. (laughs) For us. (laughs) Because my God, we need it. (laughs) God, we need it. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if this counts as emotional labor or just normal labor. Uh, Or just... Fiscal labor. Fiscal labor. <laughs> um, well, being in a communist country, now I'm thinking about like Marxism and sort mm-hmm. of, a, you know, equating money with a representation of labor. And uh, anyway. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Practical advice here. I think that awareness of emotional labor even being a thing at all is the most important first step. Um, you know, educating yourself about emotional labor just as a thing mm-hmm. can really go a long way. And knowing that you are receiving something from your partner and also knowing when you're giving something to your partner um, mm-hmm. really goes a long way. You know, it can, it, there's a big difference between maybe you come home from work, you're really upset, really stressed out, and you asking your partner, hey, can you just hold me and tell me that it's going to be okay? Um, Or, hey, can you just sit on the couch with a glass of wine with me and just let me process this? And being aware that you are asking your partner for emotional labor and your partner may be happy to do it. Um, Hopefully they will be happy to do it. Or they may do it without you even asking, but being aware Mm -hmm. that that is labor that you are receiving from your partner and that it's important to make sure that not only do you reciprocate but that you're able to facilitate things in such a way that your partner can have that energy replenished as well yeah i mean uh just a quick story two of my best friends a monogamous couple we'll call them j and t (laughs) j is the lady and she um, definitely has a lot of anxiety and is kind of working through that and is um, on medication and stuff to help her with that. But T always kind of gets, I don't know, into a space where he just wants to fix the problem. So she'll talk to him about it and she'll be wanting, you know, just love or cuddles or, uh, you know, 
uh, empathy or whatever. And he'll be like, no, well, you need to do this, this, and this, and that'll help out. And that's really frustrating for her. But I agree that the Triforce of Communication would be incredibly helpful to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just if somebody, like, said, hey, this is what I actually need here in this moment. Right. So go back and listen to our episode on the Triforce of Communication. Uh, it Absolutely. was a pretty good one. <laughs> pretty um, good. But just that is understanding what it is you're looking for at a given time mm-hmm. and also knowing to ask your partner what they're looking for. Because you yeah. might put in a ton of emotional labor into figuring out what they need to do and what they should do. And you're, you know, you're exhausting yourself or using up a lot of your resources to help them figure out what they need to do. And that wasn't what they were looking for. They just wanted support. And so now you've ended up doing a lot of emotional labor without the benefit because it wasn't directed appropriately. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so we encourage people to, you know, incorporate things like the Triforce communication. Mm-hmm. We encourage people to have, you know, very serious, direct conversations about this topic in their relationships because sometimes you'll sit down and you'll find um, you'll both sit down and both of you will think that you're the one who gives more emotional labor. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny how that happens. And so sometimes it's a matter of like, okay, let's figure out why that is. Let's figure out what is it that I'm not getting that you think that you're providing or what is it mm-hmm. that I think that I'm providing that you actually feel like, oh no, actually I'm not getting that so that we can learn to speak each other's mm-hmm. languages a little bit better and come up with something that works. And having a conversation like this using systems like the Triforce of Communication um, or, you know, we mentioned earlier that sometimes emotional labor gets extrapolated also to just like the mental labor of managing a home or the mental labor of managing errands. Um, or paying the bills or, or the keeping bills, in touch with your you friends. Know, even yeah. something as simple and, I mean, it seems silly, but really effective, as simple as like a chore wheel or something like where you break down all the things that need to be taken care of and then distribute them accordingly. You know, having a system does not mean that you failed. It doesn't yes. mean that it's a crutch. It means that you're awesome and very smart about relationships and willing to make it as good as possible. Right. And that's there's this huge misconception that happens in the way that we think about relationships where we think that if you're maybe in love enough or you're Mm -hmm. compatible enough or you both care enough or put in the effort enough that somehow you'll become psychic Mm -hmm. like that somehow you'll become the Borg and you'll all share one mind and you'll always know what the other person wants and you'll never have to ask each other for anything and you'll Mm -hmm. never have to make charts or have monthly check-ins or any of this. You'll never have to be vulnerable and ask say you're sorry yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just all this this bullshit that we're fed about what love is like and what good relationships look like. And so I, I just want to stress this more that taking the time to actually have these conversations can be incredibly enlightening. Because you might have spent the last ten years of your life complaining about how your partner doesn't care enough because they don't do the emotional labor and you're the one doing all of it, or maybe it could be about chores, like actual labor, too. We, we had a long discussion about that <laughs> earlier. Um, but that you might finally have this conversation and have a real, you know, genuine, in-depth conversation where both of you bring to the table what your priorities are for your household, for your life, even if you don't live together, you know, for your life together, what matters to you. And you might find that both of you feel like you're the one doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Or you might feel, or you might find out that you're doing a lot of work for them for something that they don't actually want. Mm-hmm. 
mm. or need. And so they haven't been appreciating it because it's not what they wanted and you didn't check in to see if it was. Or you thought you did and you misunderstood, which is also why we stress the importance of having regular check-ins with your partners. Whether it's in the relationship scrum, like we've talked about in our episode about that, or just a well, monthly meeting mm-hmm. or even a weekly meeting. Some people do it more often. Mm-hmm. But to just check in and talk about these things. See, how's it going? How are you feeling? Are you feeling like your needs are met? Do you feel like this is balanced equally? And then you can have those conversations of, oh gosh, you know what? I know you're going through a lot this month. I'll take on a little bit more. Or, uh, you know, I'm going through something. Could I get a little more support right now? But by doing it regularly, you can ensure that things aren't becoming systemic, mm-hmm. that they're not becoming yeah. recurring problems. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. fantastic. So another huge step, at least as far as your own personal growth towards making sure that, you know, you're not expecting an undue amount of emotional labor is just learning to take emotional responsibility. And I would recommend going back and listening to our podcast that we did on emotional responsibility or owning Owning your own shit. shit. Exactly. (laughs) And this one comes up a lot, particularly with non-monogamous relationships, because maybe your partner's going out on a first date. You're not feeling so great. Maybe you're feeling insecure. You're feeling a little bit scared, feeling a little bit sad, you know, whatever mix of emotions may be coming up for you. And you may ask your partner for some kind of emotional labor of like, hey, can I get some reassurance? Can I get some support? Can I, can you just tell me that I've nothing to worry about? You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like, it's fine to ask for that. But after that, you also need to be able to take emotional responsibility. Like, it's not all on your partner to make you feel good. You know, if you're feeling sad or feeling jealous, you know, ask for what you need from your partner, but remember that it's not 100% of their job to make you feel better, that that's a shared burden. It's not just them. It's also you as well. Yeah. I, (laughs) my mother always says like, you're half the problem, Emily, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, real nice, but, but she's, you know, as shrewd as that may be, I think she's right in a lot of ways like if i'm if i'm constantly taking on the burden of someone else or making myself feel awful all mm. the time because i i feel like i need to in order for them to feel better somehow then that's not really helping anyone right and the the way that i can be the most helpful is to be the most clear about who i am in that situation and how i can be helpful to not only myself but my partner but it, but in not a place that's like blaming and unkind to myself either. I think that's really important because I, I mean I don't know about anyone else, but I tend to get in a really si- big cycle of blaming myself for things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's hard because I think that we're also socialized when it comes to our romantic relationships. If our partner's upset, mm-hmm. we're very much taught, "Oh, that's kind of my problem." Also. And, and it's the fine line between being supportive and, of course, caring for your partner, but not being the person who's responsible for making them happy. Because really, you can't. If your partner is relying on you entirely to make them happy, like that's, like, that's just never going to work. No, it comes down to them ultimately at the end of the day, just as it comes down to you to make yourself happy. Right. Yeah. I feel like to add on to to Emily's mom's 50% of the problem thing. Yeah, maybe it, don't go to your partner who needs support and say, well, you're 50% of the problem. No, I mean, she'll well, say that to me, but don't say that to them. <laughs> well, so so here's, 
here's what I wanted to bring up, though, is that I think this is an example of one of these things where I come across this a lot. There are certain axioms or, or sayings about relationships or about being wise or about responsibility or whatever. And that there are certain ones that in one situation are super helpful. It's like, yeah, you're right. That's totally you're right. That, that's what I needed to hear right now. And then there are other cases where that exact same piece of advice could be the opposite of what you need to hear. So I think this is an example where in your case, this example is that you are taking a lot of the remo- emotional responsibility for somebody else. And it's your mom saying, Hey, you're 50% of the problem. You're also the one accepting all of this burden on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not just being given to you and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So by realizing, oh, yeah, I'm half of this, too. I can choose how much of this I am going to take on and how much I am willing to allow this to continue. Yeah. Now we flip, flip this around on the other side of Dedeker's example of asking for emotional support versus expecting someone to fix your emotions for you. Yeah. That if you're on that side of it, I feel like the advice would be that, no, actually, 100% of this is you, <laughs> right? That managing your emotions ultimately is 100% your job. Absolutely. You can ask for help, and you can maybe even, you know, maybe this even leads to ending a relationship if mm-hmm. boundaries are being crossed. But ultimately, mm-hmm. that's 100% on you to manage your emotions and find ways to to handle them or change your situation so that it's better. It's not any percent your partner's responsibility. So this is an example where I feel Mm -hmm. like depending who I was talking to, I might say like Emily's mom and be, well, look at your half of accepting this. Mm -hmm. But from the other side, I would say anything they're doing for you is a, is a gift Mm -hmm. is a kindness is an emotional labor. Mm but they don't have to do any of it. This is 100% yeah, you. I think that's something that we haven't struck home on yet is that really like no one's entitled to emotional labor. Right. No. Yeah. You know, no, and that's, that's where really we start to run point. into problems is when you do feel entitled, when you mm-hmm. do feel like this is something that I should receive, this is something that my partner should just know that I yeah. need to have <laughs> um, without you putting in any effort on your part to communicate or to ask or, or to reciprocate or anything like that. Um, Absolutely. The last thing that I want to leave you guys with is we found this great list of questions um, that I think can really help you to check. <laughs> essentially your to emotional check, labor to, privilege. Yes, to check what your privilege is when it comes to emotional labor. Um, and this is a fantastic list of questions. We will link to the article in the show notes. So check mm-hmm. that out. Um, and it goes through a list of questions for examining your romantic life and your, your friendships and your family relationships. You know, asking yourself questions like, Am I checking in with my partner to see if they had a rough day? Am I open and clear about my wants and not forcing my partner to either guess or to drag it out of me? Um, Am I trying to make my presence feel safe for my partner? Am I vocally grateful when my partner goes out of their way to do something nice to me? Um, Or things like with friends, when it comes to planning an event, am I bearing in mind everybody's like dietary needs or preferences, (laughs) things like that Um, with my family? Do I remember to make phone calls? Do I remember to make visits to the people that I care about? Um, And so this is just to check, to make sure like, am I not doing these things and everyone else is doing these things for me? Or am I doing this too much? Am I the only one who cares about everybody's dietary preferences? Am I the only one who makes the effort to maintain this particular family relationship just to get a sense on, 
uh, you know, what's going on in your life and to see if there's anything that needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. And then based on that, something that came up in a lot of our discussions leading up to this that I did want to at least mention quickly is that if you do realize that this is a problem on one side or the other, the solution is just isn't just for the other person to care more. Like we were saying, that just trying more or caring more isn't by itself going to make a good relationship. It's about getting specific and communicating because you'll often end up in this thing where maybe I'm the one who's doing all the maintaining of our social connections for the two of us or for the three of us or (laughs) however many, right? (laughs) I'm the one doing all of that. It's tiring. It takes up a lot of my time. I wish I had more time for other things. But if I stop doing it, then no one would do it. And then... And I don't want that. So it's important enough to me that we keep having that. So I'm going to keep taking on that emotional labor. But instead, to actually have that conversation and talk about it directly of saying, hey, are these things important to you too? Is there a way that we can split these up better? And often it comes down to making actual schedules and Mm -hmm. charts and saying, okay, this week you plan something and then Mm -hmm. next week I'll plan something or whatever it is, even just with dates with each other. Often you end up in a situation with someone you're dating where it seems like one party is always the one Planning coming to them. or organizing totally. or approaching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've had relationships where, you know, longer-term relationships where for maybe a year that'll all seem like it goes one way and then the next year it might go the other way where the other person <laughs> seems to be the only one reaching out and connecting. Mm-hmm. But having those regular check-ins will help you to actually address those things head-on and say, okay... Not just, here's a problem, fix it, but let's make a system to fix it. How about we alternate weeks or alternate months or or whatever it is? Yeah. And to just work on it and try to find what works for you. Well, you guys, thank you for providing the emotional labor of listening to us prattle on (laughs) for a long time now. Uh, Slash, yeah, every week for the last almost three years. Yeah, I hope yeah. that, that it's felt reciprocal because we've been putting in the emotional labor yeah. of putting all this together that's, for that's you. That's true. And that's arguing true. with each other and negotiating <laughs> and trying to figure out what we want to do. But yes. Um, hopefully this is a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, so if you want to have a question talked about on the show have us help out with a little bit of emotional labor for you, which we are happy to give. Um, you can call into our show and leave a voicemail. And the number for that is 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. And you can also send us an email to info at multiamory.com or you can send us a voice message through Facebook Messenger. um, And then we can play that on our show and do some emotional labor, talk about that, help you work through some things. Or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. Um, and to support our show and to join our private Facebook community where you have a whole lot of people to offer you support, you can go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP.